Welcome to episode 8 of Monopoly's Killed My Hometown. I'm your host, Andrew Cameron. And in this podcast, I'm exploring how our decision to change our competition laws in the 1980s has led to the decline of small towns and small businesses by looking at my experiences growing up and then moving back to Amherst, Nova Scotia. Ultimately, I want our small towns, small businesses, and people to have more control and agency over their own lives and futures. When we are governed by corporations headquartered elsewhere, we can lose control and hope. This is part two, delving into the confidential memorandum, Attack on American Free Enterprise System, written by Lewis Powell to the Education Committee of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, or as it's more commonly known, the Powell Memo. Uh, This memo was written in 1971 and is viewed as sort of the blueprint and the call to action for the business community to reassert power in society. So part one, I delved into why I think this memo is basically trying to create a moral panic for the business community to act. And you can listen to that episode, and I also explain more about why I chose this American memo, especially when I want to be focusing on the Canadian context and their Canadian history. So this is part two, and this one I'm going to look more at what Powell suggested that the American business community do moving forward. So Powell wrote the memo to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce because, as he says, quote, Strength lies in organization, in careful long-range planning and implementation, in consistency of action over an indefinite period of years, in the scale of financing available only through joint effort, and in the political power available only through united action and national organization. And he says, quote, Also, and this is of immeasurable merit, There are hundreds of local chambers of commerce which can play a vital, supportive role. End quote. You know, the last comment actually gave me a bit of pause, right? I often think that the goals of the national chambers of commerce, both the U.S. and the Canadian, have diverged from the goals of the local chambers of commerce. Like, I take a look at the board of directors for the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, and when I pull it up, I'll put the link below, you can see they're all, some of the largest businesses are on the board. Nutrien Limited, Vancouver Fraser Port Authority, Johnson & Johnson, Bombardier, SNC Lavalin, you know, Sonova Sun Life, Dow Chemical, TD Bank, Alberta Chambers of Commerce, Westport Fuel Systems, Power Corporation of Canada, Air Canada. They're the biggest companies, CN, BDO, Amazon, RBC, Google Canada, 3M Canada Company, Bell Canada, Rogers. The largest companies in the country are on the board of directors at the national level. And like I said last week, you know, and I compare that to the Amherst area of Chamber of Commerce, which more or less is absorbed or absorbing the former Spring Hill, Oxford and Pugwash Chambers of Commerce because there aren't enough local businesses left to support them, right? So I think the local chambers have a completely different focus of trying to make ends meet and trying to survive while the national chamber has a much different focus. Anyway, so let's go back to the Powell memo. So Powell then calls on all businessmen, quote, to recognize that the ultimate issue may be survival of what we call the free enterprise system and all that this means for the strength and prosperity of America and the freedom of our people. He then goes on to call for corporations 
to designate an executive vice president with the staff and budget to tackle this problem. And I want to go back and focus on one phrase he just used there, where he said, freedom of our people, and specifically one word, freedom. And to me, like this is such a powerful word to invoke because in my thoughts, it can take on whatever meaning one wants at any time. And it's also extremely emotional and activating for people. Who wants to lose their freedom? Not me. I just find it interesting to see that word used in this memo because it is still being used today for anything and everything that we want. Our capital city, Ottawa, was occupied by people for over three weeks because they were there to protect their freedom. And these protesters were supported and encouraged by the same, you know, economic elite class that would have acted to secure the freedom of businesses in the 1970s. I hope somebody has done more research on if there is a direct specific connection between these phrases and these times. So let's get into the plan that Powell had. So Powell identified four areas that he wanted to make sure were all fair to the free enterprise system. So the first one was the campus, the second, the media, the third, the political arena, and fourth, the courts. And there's giant air quotes around fair in that sentence. So let's begin at the first one that he listed, the campus. So Powell leads off with, quote, Although origins, sources, and causes are complex and interrelated, and obviously difficult to identify without careful qualification, there is reason to believe that the campus is the single most dynamic source for the criticism of the free enterprise system. So again, moral panic statement, because don't forget, he goes on to say students and colleges don't like the free enterprise system, but then most who go work in it later change their view. Right. So to me, this isn't a big problem, but Powell sees it as that's the case. Powell goes on to describe and says that most social science faculties tend to be liberally oriented, even when leftists are not present. And then he says, quote, the difficulty is that balance is conspicuous by its absence on many campuses, with relatively few members being of conservative or moderate persuasion, and even the relatively few often being less articulate and aggressive than their crusading colleagues. End quote. So I'm not really sure what to do with that last statement about them being less articulate and aggressive. But again, Powell leaves out all the professors in the business, commerce departments. You know, they're magically gone from his comparisons. But the thing that gets me out of all this is this is the same ridiculous woke college students canceling free speech debate that's happening now. You know, maybe this is actually the start of that debate. Anyways, I just hate it. I hate that debate because it's so disingenuous. It's not about free speech. Powell lays it out here. This is about ensuring fairness and freedom for the business community. So if you want freedom for the business community, argue why it's needed. How will it benefit all of us? Be upfront and honest. We can debate it. You know, don't hide your real arguments behind a nebulous free speech argument. Anyways, the You're Wrong About podcast did a fantastic multi-part episode on the free speech on campus debate. I'll put some links below. So what does Powell suggest the chamber actually do about this? So first, hire a staff of scholars in the social sciences. Powell wants people with national reputations and respected opinions. Second, create a staff of speakers who can clearly articulate and share the work of the above scholars. Third, 
create a speaker's bureau from the top ranks of the business community to speak at campuses around the country. Four, that the above staff of scholars will evaluate all social science textbooks focused on economics, political science, and sociology to, quote, restore the balance essential to genuine academic freedom. Basically, he wants to make sure that these books don't speak poorly of the business community. And Powell then highlights how the civil rights movement and the labor unions had textbooks rewritten to ensure their point of view was shared. Right. And you see it. The fight over textbooks in history is still going on today. I mean, this hasn't let up. And finally, Powell says, again, paraphrasing, if textbook writers know that the chamber will evaluate their textbooks, they will become more fair to the business world. Again, this is all presented under the guise of academic freedom. Next, he suggests the chamber force equal time for speakers on campus who support the free economic system. And again, he says balance faculties on campus. Make sure the social sciences aren't dominated by quote-unquote leftists. Powell suggests putting pressure on administrators and boards of trustees to make sure this happens. And finally, he suggests that the chamber ask graduate schools of business to provide courses on how the free enterprise system is under attack. So there's a lot in that list. And I think they were successful in the U.S. And I think we followed along here in Canada. I was thinking about some examples of this, and so one of them was I had talked to one of my friends probably a year, year and a half ago, and I told him my plans of doing this and starting the Center for Small Town Success and doing research on small towns and that stuff. And he suggested I pair up with a local university to do some work in one of the business schools. And I said, oh, really, which one or which university, which business school? The Sobeys School of Business at St. Mary's University, the Rowe School of Business at Dalhousie University, the Gerald Schwartz School of Business at St. Avex, the Fred C. Manning School of Business at Acadia, the Ron Joyce Center for Business Studies at Mount A, the Wallace McCain Institute at UNB, the Shannon School of Business at Cape Breton University. Which one of those that's already named after a business person should I pair up with? Right? And so these are just some of the business schools in the Maritimes. And the only three not named after someone like this are, are at Memorial University in St. John's, Mount St. Vincent University in Halifax, and UPEI in Charlottetown. Right, So I suggest now that you know if we have 70% of the universities in Atlantic Canada have a business school named after a prominent business person, I'd say we went down the same path in Canada that Powell outlined in his memo. And there's two other things that I've seen that make me think we went down this path in Canada as well. So I went to Dalhousie University from 1999 to 2003. And the president while I was there was Tom Travis. And so I think I was actually there at the start of a massive tuition wave. Um, that tuition just kept increasing significantly during my time and after that. And I was there during a strike. The profs went on strike for the whole month of March in my third year. You know, I think we played a lot of ball hockey outside. You know, we went on a trip to Mabu. It was fun and also frustrating. Anyways, so I bring this up because I was looking back and I found that Tom Travis, so the president of Dalhousie University, was also on the board of directors for the Atlantic Institute of Market Studies from 1996 to 2003. And so he was on the initial board of directors for Ames. And so Ames is a right-wing think tank that was formed in 1996. And he was on the board right from the start. So the president of the biggest university in Atlantic Canada is on the board of a pro-business right-wing think tank. That's exactly what Powell outlined in his memo. And so from the Ames website, Purdy Crawford had joined as the chairman in 1995. And he said he joined to, quote, help create a culture where public policy decisions are informed by all the relevant points of view. 
And so this is similar language to what Powell used in his memo about creating a staff of scholars to produce reports that make sure the pro-business point of view is heard. I believe Ames was also mostly funded by business owners in the business industry. And so, like I said, the president of the largest Canadian university east of Montreal was on the founding board. And so to me, it sounds like the pro-business point of view had reached the highest levels of universities. Another point about Ames, it actually merged with the Fraser Institute, which is an even further right-wing think tank. And so they merged 2019. So I always play a game whenever I open the Globe and Mail or the Globe and Mail app. I always play the game, what articles written by the Fraser Institute? And I like to try to guess. Usually I just guess whatever sounds the most wrong. And usually I'm correct. Anyways, moving on. Another thing that speaks to me is, so in Nova Scotia, it was released in 2014. We had the now or never uh, economic development strategy released. It was also known as the Ivany Report. This was written as a call to action for all Nova Scotians to act to correct the economic trajectory we were on and start improving everything for all of us again. And so the chair of this commission, Ray Ivany, was the president of Acadia University, another university in Nova Scotia. And he was also president for a long time of the Nova Scotia Community College and really moved that organization forward. Two other people on the commission were from the business community. Another was from the Ecology Action Center and the last represented uh, First Nations communities in Nova Scotia. The Ivany report was excellent in pointing out the scope of the problems and making a call to action for all Nova Scotians that we need to act, we need to do something now. But then they just promoted similar things that they've been suggesting for quite a while. I first read this report in, you know, 2014 when it first came out. I was interested to read it, see what they were saying. And I remember reading it the first time and I didn't see anything in there that would actually be a game changer for Nova Scotia. And now that it's, you know, it's eight years old and we're two and a half years into the pandemic, I'm not sure if that report's relevant anymore, but I still want to kind of talk about it because we had president of a university as chair of this. So again, it strikes me as a point that the pro-business point of view had reached again, the highest levels of universities. So I read the report again, probably six months, eight months ago. And the second time I read it, it, it felt familiar again. As I read it, it just seemed like I'd heard everything before, all these ideas. And so, you know, I was cleaning up boxes of papers from my parents' old house. And in one of the boxes, I found the economic strategy produced by a volunteer board of business people for Nova Scotia from 1991. And so the two reports were written differently, but the ideas and content were essentially the same. And I wrote about this comparison on my blog. I'll put a link below in the show notes. So I worked through the Ivany report again. And I think I summarized it to my wife as this reads, it basically is if Nova Scotians had a better attitude and gave the business community more freedom, everything would be fine. Which is essentially what Powell's saying in his memo, give us freedom and don't criticize us or complain about us. There was a lot of positive talk about the Ivany report at this time and previously. And so I went on and I wanted to see if I was the only person that kind of thought this way. And so I found a university honors thesis by Reed Power Grimm titled The Ivany Tower, Who's Won Nova Scotia? A Critical Discourse Analysis of the Ivany Report. And so the author of the thesis points out that the main goals of the Ivany Report are to 
reverse out-migration and increase both interprovincial and international immigration, a 50% increase in the number of new business startups, a 50% increase in the value of exports, a 50% increase in the number of businesses exporting commodities, an increase in the labor force participation rate, a doubling in research funding for and from universities and NSCC, along with the doubling of R&D partnerships between the private sector and universities and NSCC, a doubling of tourism revenue, the development of a comprehensive development plan by the provincial government to implement the report, and a neoliberal reform of municipal government structure and purpose. These new goals for Nova Scotia call for quantitative increases in both population growth and business activity. And then the Ivany report calls for a change in tone of the critical media and partisan politics and for everyone to line up and work together for a better economy. Which sounds again like what Powell was calling for in his memo. So Grimm dives into detailed criticism and breakdown of the research methods of the Ivany Commission. Right? So for example, Power Grimm states that the importance of population growth scored 7.9 out of 10, with 10 being critically important. And Power Grimm points out, instead of seeking to understand why Nova Scotians may hold contradictory or even unfriendly views toward business and growth, these views and their apparent diversity are only problematized. So another quote from the Ivney report Power Grimm offered, showing that, quote, The commission took issue with the skepticism held by Nova Scotians, not actual problems that were identified. So Power Grimm cites from the Ivney report, The apparent reluctance of some participants to recognize and celebrate the contribution and value of private sector leadership in the economy in general. This attitude sometimes linked to a bias in favor of smaller, locally owned businesses with limited growth potential over more dynamic, growth-oriented enterprises that may or may not be locally owned. This speaks to an attitudinal environment that subtly discourages entrepreneurship and initiative at a time when it is badly needed to revitalize local economies. So Power Grimm summarizes this as, quote, The Ivany Commission thus identified a problem not with the private sector, public sector, or capitalist system at large, but rather with the public's attitudes themselves, end quote. Which, again, is one of the things that Powell is talking about in his report. I could keep talking about the Ivany report and other things that I've seen with universities, but I bring up president of Dow sitting on Ames and the economic development report being written by a president of the university just as examples of how the pro-business viewpoint I, I see has also infiltrated the Canadian universities. And I could keep talking about it some more, but I want to get back to the Powell memo. I could also probably keep talking about universities and the campuses, but again, I want to go through the other three targets that Powell had outlined. I don't want to go a whole lot longer, and I'm not going to do a part three on this episode, so I'm going to go through these last points pretty quickly. So on Powell's list, next he had media after the campuses, but ultimately he wanted to influence the public's perception towards the business community and the free enterprise system. And to do that, he was going to use the media. Powell suggests having a number of think tanks full of scholars that can do the thinking, writing, analysis, and speaking on these topics. He also said the business community should monitor news broadcasts and complain to the FCC when programs are unfair or inaccurate. I mean, the end game of all this was creation of conservative talk radio, and then ultimately Fox News, and then even larger online right-wing media ecosystem. So I often think that the defund the CBC catchphrases and movement comes from the desire for pro-business people to limit criticism and investigation of their industries. 
right? And so I think that defund the CBC anti-mainstream media is kind of rooted in the ideas that Powell is sharing here. After the media, Powell identified the political arena as the next area the business community had to get reinvolved in. Powell referred to the American business executive as, quote, the truly forgotten man, because politicians were supporting almost any legislation related to consumerism or the environment. Powell says the business community must learn the lesson from labor and other self-interest groups and take direct political action to move what's in business's best interest forward. So one of the biggest things that I think is I am just thankful that we have publicly financed election campaigns in Canada. I mean, it, we still have problems with them and there's challenges, but the amount of money given by businesses to politicians in the in the U.S. is just obscene. And it's even more insane that people can make anonymous donations to PACs and super PACs of however much they want, right? And no idea who's giving the money or can give however much they want. I mean, we can improve on our election system in Canada, but I would want nothing to do with a system like the U.S. has. In the last target, Powell head was for the business community to influence the courts to be more pro-business, or as he says, fair towards business. Order in the court! And I mean, this absolutely happened in the U.S., with courts making more rulings in favor of businesses. This session is adjourned. The other thing is, we'll say once you've captured media politics and the courts, it can become a very strong, self-fulfilling feedback loop, right? Like I was actually living in Maine uh, in 2010 when the Supreme Court handed down the Citizens United decision. And I think this is the one that says corporations have the freedom for unlimited political speech and that money is speech so corporations can give as much money as they want. I'm paraphrasing that and I may be off just slightly a bit. So basically, courts that were objectively pro-business at that point issued a judgment that let businesses put even more money and take over the political arena even more. And so once businesses then capture the political arena more, they can use that political power to go back after the courts and just increase the power. And this is all while the right-wing media system is parenting all the same talking points. So for me, I think it's fair to say that the pro-business lobby and pro-business community absolutely nailed everything that Powell laid out in his memo. And that has really moved us almost even as far to the other side of where everything is just so far pro-business, pro-free markets, pro-the economy, that we've forgotten about the other things that make our towns, our communities, small businesses important, special, and worth preserving. And so, and part of the anti-monopoly fight is to push back on, like I said, some of these bad economic and bad zombie ideas that just keep coming back and back so that we can start thinking about other things that maybe we want to have in our communities and we want to have in our small towns again. And other things that are as important, if not more important to us than just straight economic and financial decisions. And so that's what I want to continue to work on. And for me, that's what I want to bring to our anti-monopoly fight. I want to share and talk about the things that make our communities, our small towns, our small businesses special that we may lose as we let everything consolidate. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any episodes. And I'll be back in a couple more weeks, moving on to a different document. Yeah.
you do in a small town after the movie shows through. There are a few powerful companies. Main Street is struggling. Monopolies killed my hometown.